1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read just a few verses this morning. I want to preach to you on the power of the cross. The power of the cross. Paul says in verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of non-effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Drop down with me to chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There is a danger, or a caution, I should say, when we speak about the gospel, that we minimize it to merely the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is certainly a key central part of the message of the gospel. But there's times, if we're not careful, we'll begin to think that the gospel is only for unbelievers. And it's simply sharing the way of salvation. We give a gospel tract. We give a gospel witness. A pastor gives a gospel invitation or preaches a gospel sermon. And while the gospel is never less than the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and by repentance and faith in Christ, you can come to know him in a redemptive way and in a personal relationship. It is much more than that because the work of the gospel continues on. The work of the gospel is not just that moment of salvation. So if we're not careful this morning as we think about the cross and we sing about the cross, we will have the mindset, um, perhaps unwittingly, that, well, this is for unbelievers. This is a gospel message for unbelievers. And I certainly want you to know this morning, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it doesn't matter if you are a, a member of a church. It doesn't matter if you're a good person. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist. It doesn't matter if you came from a good family. That is not the way of salvation. The only way to God is through the person of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he brings. So certainly this morning, I hope that if that's where you are, that before this service is over, at the end of the service and the invitation or following the service, you will speak to myself or one of our pastors or someone around here who can help you know the power of the cross the power of what God did, of what Jesus did when he died on the cross. But for us as believers, we've got to remember that the power of the cross is for us as well. The power of the cross didn't just get us on our way to heaven. The power of the cross is actively at work all the way to the gate. That is what Paul speaks of here. And he says, to those of us that believe, it is the power of God. We have to be very careful not to minimize and trivialize the cross. Now, please listen to what I'm about to say. I am not going to say that you should not wear a piece of jewelry uh, that is a cross. But if we can place a cross on our lapel but fail to take it up daily, then we have missed the message of the cross. There are people in this world who wear crosses as jewelry and and adornment, and they don't know a thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen, and I don't make that judgment, I see those who are engaged in entertainment, and sometimes you'll see them wearing a golden cross, and they don't know, they just recognize it as a religious symbol, and they are perhaps by default, maybe it was the tradition they grew up in, or maybe because I'm, I like the way it looks, 
that takes away, that minimizes the power of the cross. So what I'm talking about this morning is what Jesus talks about when he says that we are to take up the cross daily. We can experience the power of the cross daily in our lives. I want to read this this morning because I think it helps us remember a little bit about what we're talking about with the cross. This was written some years ago by a medical doctor concerning the cross. Simon is ordered to place the patibulum on the ground. That's the cross piece of the cross that he carried. And Jesus is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails and the wrists, excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails and the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerves. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep, crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with the serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level the compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through its tissues. Finally, he can allow his body to die. All this the Bible records with the simple words in Mark 15. And there they crucified him. Dr. Davis, Dr. Schumann Davis goes on to say, what wondrous love is this? That's the cross and that's the work that took place on the cross 
That's what Jesus experienced on the cross for you and for me. So let's not get caught up in just seeing two pieces of wood and seeing a symbol, seeing it as a symbol of religion. Let's experience, let's understand the power and the fullness of the cross of all that God intended for us to experience. I say this to us this morning because there is a tendency for us as believers, and I I counter this constantly with myself, for us to think of this as merely for the unbeliever. But I want you to know that this is how we live the Christian life. When temptation comes, I need to cling to the cross. When weariness comes, when fatigue and my spiritual fatigue comes, I need to look to the cross. I need to draw near to the cross. I I need to be reminded. I need to dwell on all that Christ has done for me through the work of the cross. And not just the physical suffering that He went through, but the grace that I have received as a result of what He did. The shed blood of Jesus Christ, the suffering death of Jesus Christ, and all that it means for me, all that I get to experience, the grace that has been bestowed and given because of that suffering. And so today, I want to point our minds and our hearts to the cross to see the power of the cross so that we may experience the power of the cross. If you walk out of here just simply moved by hearing what Jesus suffered, If you walk out knowing a little bit more about what the cross has done for us, then we've missed the point of it all. But if we walk out and we daily take up the cross and we follow Christ, and in our moments of temptation we are strengthened and guarded against the call of this world and the siren call of sin because our minds and our hearts are on the cross. And when we're weary and we're tired, consider Him who endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself at the cross. The cross is the key. And John Stott put it this way. He said, The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled. But we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. So clinging to the cross, coming near to the cross, is much more than just looking at a symbol. It is experiencing and understanding and delighting in the glory of the power of the cross and all that it does for us. Let me share with you quickly several things. I'm going to move quickly through these this morning, so if you want to jot them down, come back and think about them later. I want to just remind us of what the cross and the power of the cross. First of all, the power of the cross is that it demonstrates most clearly God's great love. There is no greater demonstration of the love of God than the cross of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God giving His Son is not just merely Christ coming into this world. It is Christ coming into this world for the purpose of going to the cross to suffer and to die, to be given as a sacrifice. No greater love. 1 John chapter 4 says, Greater love hath no man than this that a man will lay down. Jesus said rather, No greater love hath any man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. 1 John 4 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation, the provided sacrifice for our sins. 
the work on the cross, the, the message of the gospel of what God has done to redeem my soul and to bring me into his family and to make me like Christ and to prepare me for future glory, that is the power of the cross. It de demonstrates the love of God. The power of the cross is, is that it decides what is referred to sometimes as the divine dilemma. Sometimes we think if someone has a dilemma, there's something that they can't do, and they've got to figure out what to do about it. But the, the divine dilemma is really the, the two tensions that God in his nature faces and faced, and yet found the resolution for. The divine dilemma is, is that God is a holy God. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they fell into sin, and there are consequences for that sin. He is a holy God that cannot and will not tolerate sinfulness. And there had to be the consequences, there had to be the, the, the results of that sin. And yet, God is also a God of love. And God loved His creation, God loved us. And that is what is so powerful about God's love. Is it, is not in, it is not in tension with, it is not contrary to God's holiness. In fact, God loves us because He is holy, and He wants what is best for us. And God is holy because His love is perfect. And yet in the person of Christ, both the justice of God and the mercy of God have met together, and that resolution has taken place, and God's justice is satisfied. Jesus Christ, as He hung on the cross, took upon Himself the consequences and the results and the pain and the suffering and the guilt of every sin that has ever been committed. He died, the Bible says, for the sins of the world. That doesn't mean that everyone is going to receive God's grace, that everyone's going to welcome God's grace. But Jesus took upon himself, so the justice of God was satisfied, but the love of God was satisfied because salvation was provided and made possible, and God's grace was extended. And that takes place in the cross. It's the wonderful, redemptive plan that God designed before the foundation of the world. Do you remember that lamb that we saw just a couple of weeks ago in Revelation chapter 5? There was a lamb as it had been slain before the foundation of the world. Before Adam and Eve ever existed, before sin was ever thought of, God had already provided a sacrifice. God had already, already provided the divine solution to the divine dilemma. And it was in the cross, and that's the power of the cross. The power of the cross is that it delivers us from the power of sin. I want you to know this morning that you were born as a sinner. Every single person. I'm not pointing out any particular individual because the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as my one man, sin entered into the world because of Adam's sin. Therefore, death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And we are in bondage. We are enslaved. We, we desire to be free. And we're seeking for freedom in all the wrong places. We think we can free ourselves, but nothing can free us from the power of sin except the power of the cross. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To whosoever will believe and trust in Jesus Christ. There is freedom from the power of sin.
You see, Christ lived the life that we should have lived, and Christ died the death that we should have died. But because He did, we are freed from that power of sin. That is the power of the cross. I want you to know this morning that you can be free from your burden of sin because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, because of His death on the cross. There may be somebody sitting here this morning that has never trusted Christ as their Savior. And you feel that burden, you feel that weight. And you say, well, I I don't want anything about God. I don't want anything about religion. We tell you, this isn't about religion. This is about salvation. This isn't about becoming part of a religious group. It's about becoming a part of the family of God. And God freeing you from the burden of your sins. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly. He's able to do that. He is able to free us and redeem us because of the power of what Jesus did on the cross. The power of the cross, number four, is in that it demands our complete surrender. Now, this is where most of us, we like those first three. We like all that the gospel did for us in salvation. But what does the gospel do beyond this? Listen to me carefully on this. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 9. You know this verse, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Jesus says, if any man will come after me. If any man will come after me. Do we claim to be a follower of Christ? Are you a follower of Christ? I'm not asking you, did you pray a prayer at some point? Now, many of us prayed a prayer when we trusted Christ as our Savior. I'm not diminishing that whatsoever. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there are many people who have prayed a prayer but aren't followers of Christ. They went through the motions. They said the words. They did what they thought they were supposed to do. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How am I to be a follower of Christ? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ? Listen to what Jesus said. This is not what Cameron Cloud said. This is not what some writer said. This is what Jesus said. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. May I say that that is very contrary to our, the spirit of our day. Our day does not tell people to deny themselves. Our day says, embrace yourself. Welcome who you perceive yourself to be. Jesus says, deny yourself. Put aside your will. Put aside your plans. Put aside your agenda. And I could quote you a number of verses about that. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Galatians chapter 5, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. What are we to do? We are to take up the cross. In other words, we are to lay aside, we are to say, God, I am a living sacrifice. I will lay my will, my plans, my agenda, my ideas for this moment, for this day, and for my life. I will lay them on the altar, and I will accept what you have for me. Jesus said, take up the cross daily and follow me. You want to follow me? Deny yourself. Take up the cross. Students, you will not hear this from this world. 
you will hear things contrary to this from this world. But I want you to know, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you need to take up the cross daily. To take up the cross. People say, well, you know, that's my cross to bear. I understand what we mean by that, and I try to give a little bit of grace and latitude in that. But let me tell you that the troubles and problems in your life is not your cross to bear. I've heard husbands say, well, you know, my wife is my cross to, God, this is my, my cross to bear. And most of the wives know that it's the husband that's the cross to bear. Heard an amen somewhere over here for the first time. Hey, at least we're getting some amens going. That's, I'll take what I can get. This situation in my life is my cross to bear. It is a burden to bear. But let me tell you what taking up the cross means. It means being a living sacrifice. And if I want to have the power of the cross at work in my life, if I want to experience the power of the cross radically transforming me and the grace of the gospel, not merely getting me to heaven, but making me like Christ while I'm on my way there, it must be through the power of the cross. And it must be by taking up that cross. So the power of the cross is that it demands my complete surrender. Have you come to that place of absolute surrender? And if you think, you say, well, I did one time and I'm good, then you've missed the point again. Because Jesus said you take up the cross daily, every single day. Why? Because it's a living sacrifice. And every day my body's alive and I get up and it's refreshed and it's ready to go. And I have to once again lay it on the altar and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. That's the power of the cross. The power of the cross is that it draws all believers together. Do you see this? It draws believers together. Paul will say in Galatians that in Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Do you know that we will stand before God in that scene described in Revelation where there's of every tribe and tongue and nation, every ethnicity, and we will stand together, and there will be people there that we will likely have nothing more in common with than the cross. But we will never have anything less in common with them than the cross. It is the cross that brings us together. It is the cross that draws us together as one. It is in the cross that we are one body in Jesus Christ. Think about this early church. Think about the division. We, in our culture and in the past decades, have had divisions between ethnicities and people groups and this group and that group. And there have been some animosity and still there is still today that issue and it's something that has to be addressed and dealt with. But understand that in that time, there were two ethnicities, there were two people groups that did not like each other. In fact, it was unusual for often for them to be in the same room together. And the Jews and the Gentiles did not fellowship together. They did not come together. And you would never find them eating and drinking together. And yet, in the communion of the cross, in the communion when they celebrated, this is my body that was broken for you, this is my blood that was shed for you, you found the Jew and the Gentile brought together in one body in Christ. The cross brings believers together, and it brings us into one body. And they would not only be in the same room together, but they would be participating of the same meal together. Do you see the power of the cross to do what no one else can do? 
We're looking for solutions in all the wrong places, and it needs to be in our day reflected in the body of Christ. It needs to be reflected in the church because the world does not have the solution to unity and union. It does not have that that brings us together. It has things and attempts that end up dividing even further. But the power of the cross and the power of the gospel is that we can be brought together regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our background, regardless of our social standing, and we are brought together in one by the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the cross. That's why Paul said in Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We are one in Him. And God deliver us as the church from even a hint of that which would divide what the cross unites. power of the cross is that it defends against the accuser. Let me read to you from Revelation chapter 12, if you want to read this, these verses later. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. This is a future event to take place. But listen to how he describes him. The accuser of our brethren is cast down. Who is the accuser of the brethren? It's Satan. He's the one who is the accuser of the family of God, the brothers and sisters. Let me just pause a minute and say, when you unjustly accuse a brother or sister, it's pretty clear whose side you're on because Satan is the one who is the accuser of the brethren. He says, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. You know what Satan's full-time job is? Satan's full-time job is to accuse you and I before the Father. He accuses us. What is his accusation? That we don't belong, that we're not worthy. Do you know that his accusation is true? We're not worthy. But there is one who stands ready to defend us. How did they overcome this? Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Where was the blood of the lamb shed? It was shed on the cross, and it is the power of the cross that they overcame the devil, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. I'd say they had embraced the idea of complete surrender and had taken up the cross to follow Christ. When Satan, the choir sang it just a minute ago, the cross defends me. Even when I'm guilty, the cross defends me. What is it that covers our sins? What is it that makes us righteous in the sight of God? It is the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It has the power to defend me. One last thought that I want you to see this morning, and that is... The power of the cross is that it has the power to delight the ransomed soul. There is nothing in this world that can delight us and fill our hearts like the message of the gospel and like the power of the cross. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul said, But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but it is Christ that liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for
for me. It's the power of the cross. How do, we, how do we delight in the cross? Do you delight in the cross? Do you, do you daily spend time and make it a point to focus your heart and mind? Let me tell you that whatever you're facing, I'm not telling you that this is some magical solution. I'm telling you that this is the answer. When doubts fill my mind, I need to go to the cross. When discouragement and depression fills my mind, I need to go to the cross. When temptation comes against me, I need to run to the cross. And I need to remind myself of all that God has done for me and that the grace that saved me is the grace that sustains me. And that's the power, the power of the cross. Let me encourage you and challenge you to do several things. Let me tell you, let's, let's memorize the gospel. I don't mean memorize the plan of salvation. I mean memorize verses that speak to us about what took place through the work of grace. What took place as Jesus died on the cross. Memorize those verses, and when Satan comes against you, when temptation comes against you, when doubt comes against you, go to those truths. Arm yourself with the Word of God. Arm yourself with the Scriptures. You say, well, preacher, I've, I don't have a little trouble memorizing. I get that. I understand that. There's things we all remember and have memorized, but as time goes by, there's, there's things that we don't remember quite as well. And if you have trouble memorizing it in your mind, then write it on a piece of paper, write it on a three-by-five card, put it on something on your phone where when you need that truth, you can return and come back to it and remind yourself of that truth. Pray the gospel. Pray the power of the cross. When you pray, don't just ask for things. There's nothing wrong. God tells us to come asking. But let's remember that we pray only because of the truth of the gospel. We pray, we come into the presence of God only by the power of the cross. Sing the gospel to yourself. Some of the hymns and songs we've sung this morning that point our minds to the cross. We sang one in the early service by Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and sacrifice them to your love. That's the power of the cross. Sing it to yourselves. Let me tell you, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not one of those people that say, you know, Christians shouldn't listen to um, any kind of secular music. I will say, there's a lot of secular music you've got no business listening to. I'm going to say that again because some of you don't, I don't think quite listen to that. There's secular music that you've got no business listening to. It got quieter the second time. I'm going to say it a third time. I'll keep preaching it till you start living it. I do have great concern for those that say, man, my heart's always burdened and I'm so down. And you listen to, you, you look at the songs that they sing and the music they put into their hearts and minds and it's, it's dark, disturbing music. And they watch dark, disturbing things. Look, I want to I fill my mind with the power of the gospel. And I'm not talking about just the music that fits within a genre that we call gospel music. I'm talking about a, God, a song that conveys the truth and the message and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it reminds me of what Jesus did for me on the cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for the world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross 
Till my trophies at last I lay down, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it one day for a crown. The power of seeing the gospel to yourself. You say, I can't sing. Doesn't make any difference. If you're singing to yourself, you're the only one listening. Used to have a friend that never sung in church, never heard him lift a note in church, but boy, he'd get on his lawnmower. And he was louder than the lawnmower. And I don't know if it was always on tune, but boy, he sure loved to sing the songs about the cross and about the gospel. Sing the gospel to yourself. Study the gospel. Learn, grow. If you want to grow in a passion for what Jesus has done, you constantly seek to understand in a deeper way what he has done for you. You will be overwhelmed by the grace of God. You'll delight in the cross when you review continually how the gospel has shaped you and changed you, both to yourself and to others. Have gospel conversations, not just with the lost, but remind yourself and remind others of all that this means, of how it has made a difference. Has the gospel made a difference in your life? Has the gospel changed you other than the fact that you say, now I'm on my way to heaven? Or is it transforming you into the likeness of Christ? If it is, then that's where you need, to, you need to remind yourself of the power of the gospel and the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Some of you may be familiar with the, the great old allegory that was written several hundred years ago. A man by the name of John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a British pastor. He refused to take a license to preach. He said, you you won't tell me what to preach and when to preach and who I'm going to preach to. And you won't have that authority. God's the one that has that authority over me. So he was sent to, sent for, sent to the Bedford jail for what ended up being 12 years. They would constantly say to him, John, if you'll just sign this, it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't really mean anything. Just sign this paper, take this license, and we'll let you go. You can still preach and you can care for your family, but for 12 years, he said, it's better to obey God than to obey man. They say that as they would bring, their, bring his bowl of food to him, just a meager porridge, they would cover it sometimes with a, a thin piece of paper, and they would bring that to him, and he would take those pieces of paper and he would dry them out, and he wrote what became for many years uh, not just a Christian classic, but a classic in literature called The Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress is the story of a man who leaves the city of destruction. He is warned to flee and he has a great burden on his back that he carries. And as he flees, he, he hears others, and some try to divert him from the way, and some try to tell him this is the solution, the religious tell him this way. And the evangelist, the messenger of the gospel, keeps telling him to go to the cross, to go to the cross. And as he comes to the cross and he kneels at the cross, miraculously the burden that he's been carrying that he could not get rid of falls from his shoulders into a, a chasm, and it's gone forever. And so the rest of the story, the rest of the book is, is Christian on his pilgrimage to the celestial city. He encounters a lot of, it's really the Christian life. He has traveling companions along the ways, one by the name of Faithful, another by the name of Hopeful. And Christian and Hopeful come in their journeys to a place that's the, the place where they, they grow drowsy. They grow sleepy because of the, the enchantment that's on that place. And they are, they are 
tempted to lay down and fall asleep and, and not move forward. And as they come to this place, Hopeful says to Christian, to prevent drowsiness in this place, let's fall into good discourse. In other words, let's, let's talk, let's keep each other awake. Christian inquires, brother, where shall we begin? Hopeful answers, let us begin where God began with us. Let me tell you this morning that we need to get back to where God began with us. When we grow weary in this life, when our faith is tested, when we are tempted, when we are struggling, we need to go back and begin. He says, friend, live near the cross and you will not sleep. So I say to you this morning, live near the cross. Begin where God began with you and you will not sleep. The power of the cross. Are you experiencing the power of the cross in your life? Has there been a time when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, then I invite you to do that today. Right where you are, or you can walk down this aisle in just a moment, and one of our pastors will share with you how you can know the power of the cross at work in your life. Christian, are you fully surrendered? Are you taking up your cross daily? Are you experienced? Are you just sort of coasting along the way? Have you become drowsy and tired and you're just sort of coasting in your Christian life and you're in danger of falling asleep and you need to take up your cross and follow Christ? Then let me encourage you to do that today. Maybe this morning you want to just come in the invitation and simply give God thanks for what He did for you on the cross. Whatever God may speak to you about, don't just hear about the power of the cross. Experience the power of the cross. Father, thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that this truth will be a living, vibrant, transformative truth in our lives. That we will follow your call. That whosoever will follow you must deny himself, take up the cross daily, and follow you. Father, I pray that the power of the cross will do today what I cannot do, and that is draw sinners. Draw those who need your salvation and work in the hearts of your people. I'm trusting you, Lord, to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name.